But if you have your Bibles today, I'm going to ask you to join me again in Ephesians chapter 6. And in Ephesians 6, we're going to look together at spiritual warfare. And this passage is one that I feel such a, a need as pastor to help you with because you know, the Bible calls the pastor as the equipper. He's the pastor teacher who's supposed to equip the saints. And we have been talking about spiritual warfare, and we're just now getting to the armor of God, the equipment that God says he has given us to wear as we come into a spiritual fight. You know, there's a constant fight for your mind, a constant fight. It's a, it's a fight as to what you will think and what you will feel and what you will choose. And many times, if, if you don't realize it's a fight, it's because maybe you've already given in. And you're, you're just going with the flow instead of finding yourself as a follower of Christ coming cross-culture and coming encounter with the evil one. The Bible says that he is one that wants to undermine you with his schemes. So today we're going to look at, very practically I hope, how you can do battle for your mind how you can fight for the health of your soul. We introduced before and said that there are three commands given. And these three commands are that we're to be strengthened with his might, found in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Three times we find a word that talks about strength. Three different words used in the original text to talk about our strength in Christ. Then it says we are to take up or we are to put on the full armor of God. Twice it is used, the whole armor of God. Now, if the scripture says something once, hey, that's enough. But when the scripture repeats something, then we know that we ought to be paying attention. And here, two times it says to put on the whole armor of God. And then again in verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God. The third command is to stand, and it's repeated. The idea of standing, I, I took, and what I like to do is print off the scripture so that I don't mess up my Bible too much, and I can, I can draw all over the words, and it may not be something I want to permanently keep there. And so each week when I'm preaching, I print off the text, and I look at it, and then finally have to do another one to even bring up here because I messed up the first one so many times. But here, as you take the word strong and you take the word stand, it just seems to be repeating. Right in there in verse 13 and 14, three times that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and then to stand firm and then stand therefore. Having done everything to stand, stand. Now, before we jump into this, I, I need to ask you, do you even believe this applies to you i mean do you have any struggle with feelings of insecurity and inferiority do you have any struggle with temptation do you have any struggle with feeling defeated as we look at this today it's going to be an amazing offering that god is giving to us to deal with all of those kind of thoughts and I've seen the pattern this way. First, we think something, 
and then we have feelings about it, and then we take action. But over time, we don't even know we're having the thoughts. The feelings begin to grip us so. And then we don't even realize that we're having the thoughts and the feelings because the choices have become ruts in the road. And so the Bible tells us that we have been given by God a way to deal with all of that. Now let me remind you of the believer's battle before we start looking at each piece of the armor. The believer's battle, we read, is not against flesh and blood. How we have a tendency, verse, verse 12 says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We have a tendency to look at a person and let them personify our enemy. But we really don't fight against people. Anyone that's being used of the evil one to attack you needs your prayer just as much as someone you like, maybe more than someone you like, because we have a tendency to think that we're fighting them, but we're not. The scripture says that our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our fight is against the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world system, we, we talked about. God so loved the world, the people of the world. We don't fight that. We love the people of the world. God created uh, a beautiful, my, my daughter last night was taking pictures of the sunset as she was driving back from Virginia to North Carolina, and she was putting the pictures on her Facebook, and it was just a majestic sunset, and, and uh, she quoted how that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. And we look at God's creation, and we don't fight against that world, the creation world, or the world of people, but we do fight against a world system. A system that has set itself in opposition to God and very subtly undermining us as followers of Christ. So our fight is against the world, the flesh, and the evil one. And believe it or not, the devil does know your name and has a file on you, all right? And he knows what pushes your button, okay? He knows how to work you. And so as we fight not against flesh and blood, we are reminded in verse 10 that we have strength in the Lord. It's the Lord's strength, and he has already defeated the evil one, but we are now in a fight for our own souls and those that we would share Christ with as we move toward eternity. So let's put on the full armor of God. Today, I want to show you these six pieces of armor. And if you would allow me to, I'm going to give you a little device so you can remember them. You know, sometimes I, I think, what, what in the world do you remember when I preach? Okay, does any of it matter? Does, does anybody know what you said last week or two weeks prior? One day I walked out into our garage after we moved here, and all of I looked up and all of my, I'm going to date myself, cassette tapes and and then dvds of everything i'd ever preached my entire ministry i looked up there on the shelf stored in my garage with all the stuff that we had moved and i stood there for a minute and said in a way that kind of represents my whole life and i wonder did anybody hear any of it did it matter this morning as I preach, I know there's going to be so many things you're going to forget. 
but I do want to see if I can give you just a few little things that you can hang on to. And at the end, you're going to see really one thing is what I'm aiming for, okay? But I want to offer you a few others for those of you that can maybe hang on to a little bit more of the armor. There's six pieces of armor given here. Now, if you like, you can do as I did, and you can go through and first circle what they have to do with. Notice it is the belt of truth. It is the breastplate of righteousness. It is the gospel of peace. It is the shield of faith. It is the helmet of salvation. And it is the sword of the spirit. Okay, so you could, you could list those qualities that this armor give you, what, what they produce in us. Like sounds kind of like a list of the fruit of the spirit in many ways as you look at those things that are there. But let's start with the first three because they all start with a B. All right? If I were trying to help a little kid memorize the armor of God, I would, I would say we can go with three B's and three S's, all right? So I want to see if I can show you these three B's that would help you memorize or understand the armor of God that we're told we're to put on. First, the belt of truth. The belt of truth. I'm not sure... If I pick on Nick too much, he won't sit back there again, okay? But I, I'm not sure as Nick grabbed, uh, my slide didn't work, and he grabbed a, another slide. It sounded a lot like the King James that he put up there. I stumbled a little bit trying to read it, some of it, okay? Uh, that was a joke. Some of you didn't get it. All right, I was trying to read the these and the thous of it. But did you notice that it said, gird your loins? We don't, we don't gird our loins very often. Uh, that is the rendering of taking the belt of truth and being prepared. In Christ's day, you've, you've all been to the musicals and the plays, and you've seen the guys with the robes just like the girls, you know. Everybody got on the long garment. But when the soldier was getting ready to, to move, whether he was moving to the battle spot or he was moving into battle, he would grab his robe and he had a certain way to put it into his belt and to cinch up his belt to to get it ready for him to go and so the reader here having seen a soldier and Paul perhaps even looking at one as he's writing tells them that they are to put on the belt of truth now if we're to take this belt of truth as part of the armor that God has given us. What's he talking about? The truth. Well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we know that it's a quality describing Christ. But it's also a quality describing truthfulness of a person let me show you back in Ephesians chapter 1 it says in him also when you heard the word of truth the gospel there's one place the word truth is used but when you go to chapter 4 you begin to see the description of truth as you move down to let's say verse 15 speaking the truth in love let us grow up in every way into Christ who is the head. Or further in chapter 4, that we as the new man created in the likeness of God 
in righteousness and purity and truth. And since you put away lying, speak truth to one another. Truth is a description of how we as believers are to live. And the opposite of truth, lying, becomes a tool in the hand of the evil one. My grandmother used to say, be careful when you lie because then you'll have to remember it. And then you'll have to tell another lie to cover up that lie and it'll just get complicated when you're having to tell all those lies to remember. She said, just tell the truth. It's just easier because you can remember it, you know? Think about it. Believers should be described as truth-telling people. And speaking the truth and living the truth is part of the way with a clear conscience we can fight the evil one. But living a lie and telling a lie becomes a tool back in his hand. So the armor of God that we've been given are to be people of truth. And we know that verse 24 of chapter 4 said that we're to put on the new man, the one created in the likeness of God, righteousness, purity, and truth. But it just said before that in verse 21 of chapter 4, we've been taught in him and the truth is in Jesus. So the belt of truth, does that describe you? Are you ready to do battle with the evil one because you're seeking to be a truthful person? The second one is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, this breastplate, as it makes its way around, I, I was talking to KK yesterday, and I said, so, honey, are you staying with the kids tomorrow? She said, yeah. I said, well, good. I can practice my sermon on you. You know, she gets, she gets tired of me going through the whole thing, and then she's got to come in here and hear it again. But I said, talk to me about this for a minute. And I said, if you can imagine this, there were not only soldiers in the Roman army. There were, as it were, scientists working for the Roman army who were not up front in the battle but who were in the background figuring out how to make this stuff durable and how to make it light enough yet strong enough to wear in battle. I mean, some of the most incredible stuff, if you could see what they figured out all that time ago to wear. Now, the breastplate, not easily permeated, but put around, and some would say only in the front because we're only supposed to fight, nothing for the back. You know, that's, that's what Pilgrim's, that's what Bunyan said in Pilgrim's Progress, nothing for the back for the warfare because we're not supposed to run, we're supposed to stand. Well, that sounds really good, but I do think the breastplate probably went all the way around so you wouldn't get stabbed in the vital organs. But notice what it says, the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness. The scripture is very clear on our imputed righteousness. That is the righteousness given to us by God that we could not earn or deserve. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5 that he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might have the very righteousness of God in him. The Bible says that the just will live by faith and that when we say to God we're trusting in Christ, God gives us the very righteousness of Christ as our very own. This is not a however. It's a, it's a new paragraph. Additionally, 
Since we have been given the righteousness of Christ, we ought to live rightly as the people of God. And as we do what is right, that quality is listed over and over again. We just read a couple of instances as it was talking about according to God, godliness in righteousness and purity and in truth. As the people of God, as we live rightly because we've been given this righteousness of God through Jesus, then that becomes a way that we can stand against the evil one as we do what is right. I love the way the prophet said it. He has shown you, old man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And to do justly and to want justice. We of all people ought to be the ones looking at the racial problem and saying, that's just not right. A person should be treated with dignity, and we see it first as the people of God. We as the people of God ought to be leading the way in seeing what culture needs and what is right, not trying to preach it to them and beat them over the head, but to live a life with the aroma of Christ as we live in truth and we live in righteousness. Well, that's two of the B, all right? Here's the third one, the boots. It may not say boots, but sandals didn't work, all right? You, no, seriously, you've got to get a picture of these shoes. The Roman shoes, when I think of sandals, I think of the beach. I think of not keeping them on my feet very well. Look, these were not those kind of sandals. The, the scientists working for the soldiers had developed spikes so they could stand, but somehow they were still light enough that the soldier could cover a lot of ground in a short amount of time. So these were built so that they might stand, but they were built so that they might be able to move. And notice what it says that we are to find in these boots. We're to find a readiness with the gospel of peace. What does that mean? It means that we as the people of God ought to always be desiring that the gospel move, that it move, that it move in us and that it move through us. The Bible says when Jesus saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion and he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. And we should be the ones looking at the world scene and see people without Christ and our hearts ought to be so moved that we want them to know the same Jesus we know. And we should be the first because we have found ourselves with the gospel given to us that we have made ourselves ready for it to move. Isaiah said, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news giving the picture of Jesus coming to speak the gospel of peace. But now we as the body of Christ to be the ones who take this gospel places where it's needed. So we're to put on the whole armor of God. We're to put on the belt of truthfulness. We're to put on the shield of righteousness. 
We're to put on the boots of the gospel of peace so that we'll be ready to move. Now, three S's that help us understand what we've been given. First, we've been given the shield of faith. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. We're going to come back to this in a moment. Because it's really the one thing I want you to get from this morning's message. But what does it mean to have a shield of faith? These soldiers had a shield, once again, developed to be light enough to move, but strong enough to endure. And very often, having been put first in water so they could handle when the fiery dart came to try to put it out quickly as they held it up. Some say that the shields even found a way to connect to each other. I almost picture watching a National Geographic special <laughs> and kind of seeing the animals come together, you know, to form some group form where they can they can fight against the animal coming against them. But these soldiers would come together in formation, and they knew how to lock shields, as it were, to take it for one another and stand there. What a great picture of the body of Christ as we live our faith together. Nowhere in the Bible does it try to say that a Christian is supposed to live the Christian life alone. We're supposed to do this thing together as followers of Christ. And we're to encourage each other to take up the shield of faith. But then it specifically says, so that you might be able to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. We're going to come back and talk about those flaming darts. The second S is salvation's helmet. And yes, I know this is the first one I took out of order, but I had to put I had to put them all S's, all right, for you to try to have some memory device. So it's the shield of faith and it's salvation's helmet. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will one day be saved. And we're to put on the helmet of salvation to guard our minds of what we think and what we do. And this helmet, strong enough to let a sword bounce off of it or an arrow bounce off of it, yet somehow lined softly to be put on the soldier's head. And it had this jaw piece that came down around the jaw, kind of like the batting helmet. Anybody watch the Braves lately? And I forget which guy seems like his... Uh, uh, the shortstop who steps up there, and he's got a he's got a helmet coming down like this to, to guard his jaw. Probably been hit in the head before, but you put that on both sides, and that's what this soldier's wearing—the helmet of his salvation. And the last piece of armor that's listed is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Some have said it's the only offensive sword, the only offensive piece of armor that, that you have. I think I probably disagree with you because the next verse talking about praying is an offensive weapon that we have as well. But here, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that reminds me of Hebrews 4, chapter 12. It says the word of God is quick and alive and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. 
that it is able to pierce, to divide soul and spirit, joint and marrow, judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You know, something happens when we come together like this, not because a preacher has a way of impressing you with thoughts or putting together some great logical talk, but when the Word of God is opened, the Spirit of God works in the heart of the people of God and sometimes people will come up to me after the service and say, well, you know, God really spoke to me today about blank. And I think, well, that must have been God because I didn't say anything about that, you know. But God takes his word and speaks to his people. And here it's called the sword of the spirit that God uses to speak to us and to work with us. Now, I just want to give you one other little nugget of understanding here. As I read and studied this passage and what people said about it and tried to go behind to the original text, some of you know that the word, word, in the Bible is either logos or rhema. Logos, the clear, given word of God. But the rhema is the quickened, spoken word of God. This is the word rhema. Jesus, when he was tempted, said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Jesus, by the way, is a great example of how we deal with temptation using Scripture that sometimes the devil will try to misquote Scripture to us. And for us to be able to use Scripture in battle to know how we can stand. And here we're told that the quickened, spoken word of God is how we are to do battle against the evil one. So, once again, Ephesians 6, verse 11 says, Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the tactics of the devil. What are his tactics? What are his methods? What are the tools of the evil one? to try to discourage and undermine the people of God? Well, today if I could get you to remember one piece of armor, it would be the shield of faith that you use to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. For this is how the flaming arrows work. A thought hits our life and when it hits our life because it's on fire it begins to spread into our life sometimes we're amazed at how someone falls into sin but it's usually a slow burn it's not a quick instant falling but it is a an accepting of something that is wrong and welcoming it into our life, and then it begins to burn and take over. So what we have to do as believers in our fight, we have to learn how to stop the devil at the door. We have to take the counsel of the old preacher that said, when the devil comes knocking at your door, send Jesus to answer the door. We have to learn how the flaming darts come and what they do so that we can respond a people of faith. So this morning, in no way did I make a comprehensive list. 
But I do want to put a list of some things up here on the screen that I think become the flaming arrows of the devil. Temptations. Doubts. Anger and frustration. Pride. Despair. Fear. Now, now let me say, it, it's okay if you have more than one of these, <laughs> but if I get through reading this list and you don't see that you have at least one of these, then I think you've got a bigger problem than you think, <laughs> all right? <laughs> because you are not being real with your life. Guilt, shame, confusion, deception, discouragement, depression, hopelessness, greed, lust, self-centeredness, stubbornness, laziness, suspicion, jealousy, hate, wrath, discord, gossip, feelings of inferiority, feelings of superiority. As those thoughts hit our mind and our emotions, if we don't know how to put out the fire, then it will become a flaming fire in our soul to undercut our walk with God and to undercut our testimony with others. So how do we, as the people of God, hold up this shield of faith? How do we deal with these flaming arrows? Well, I want to give you another verse that talks about spiritual warfare. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. It says, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. For we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Listen, that last phrase is huge. Here's how I picture it. As we grow in Christ, we learn how to sense those flaming arrows of those thoughts and those feelings when they hit us. And we learn how to put handcuffs, as it were, on the thoughts and feelings that would undermine us and bring them over and make them stand next to Jesus. Taking every thought captive to obey Christ. And as we take that thought that comes to us, that feeling that is undercutting us, and we bring it over and we put it next to Jesus, then we ask a very simple question. Jesus, is this what you would want me to have going on in my mind and in my feelings and in my choices? I remember sitting in the counseling room as a pastor and people would say to me, so tell me what to do. In most cases, I, I really can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you. Here's the way you ought to walk, and here are the things you might look for 
if I tell you what to do, you may have misrepresented your circumstances, or there's going to be some circumstance come along that I didn't anticipate, and I just told you to do something that's not going to work. But if I can tell you about the path and how to walk on that path, when the time comes, you will know what you should do. And this morning, I don't know which one of those might cause you the greatest frustration. My wife is very quick to say, I'm not going to think that. That thought is straight from the pit of hell. Now, if she ever says that to you, she's not trying to be crude. She's just trying to show you what she's had to do to learn how to deal with those flaming arrows of the evil one and just say, that thought, that's just not from God. And I'm encouraging you to learn how to deal with the weapons of your warfare that are not fleshly but divinely empowered so that you might be able to take those things that are trying to keep you and hinder you from walking with God and bring that thought captive so that you can obey Christ. Put handcuffs on it, bring it over, and put it beside Jesus is the way you daily do battle. And those things are seeking to control your mind. Today I want to plead with you. Put on the armor of God. And if you can't remember the three B's and the three S's, just remember that God's given you a shield of faith so that you can deal with the flaming arrows of the evil one. So how do you actually pray it? What do you say? Remember a few weeks ago, we said that it starts off with we submit to God, then we resist the devil, we draw near to God, and he draws near to us. So this morning, I want to put up on the screen, I don't know if everybody can read it, I tried to make it one slide, maybe kind of hard to read in the back. But I want to put up here a prayer that I would encourage you this morning all of you can certainly pray it because I think it's in line with Scripture. But some of you who are dealing with the flaming arrows need to learn this is the kind of prayer you often pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I know you welcome me because his blood paid the price of my sin. I confess my sin and sinfulness. I submit my life to you and offer myself to you as a living sacrifice. Open my eyes to see what you see, and I will open my mouth to proclaim your praise.